Today is the third Sunday of the month, and uh, we've been doing something new of late, which is every third Sunday we just put all of our students in service roles. That's why we had a couple students in the band today, student running slides. we got students at the host team. Um, if you're a parent, don't freak out when I say this, but we have students downstairs working with babies and children and <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, but we did the background checks on them. They're okay. But uh, So that was pretty good. Garrett, what was up with that? Uh, did you switch the chorus up on the... Like it had that like Blink-182 breakdown, kind of like we were all going along and it was like, didn't seize my... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I liked it. I just needed more uh, something, I don't know. Anyway, uh, hey, a couple of things coming up I want to tell you about and then I'm going to read our text for today and then we'll, we'll get going. But on uh, November the 1st, which is a Thursday night, it's also All Saints Day which uh, in the church world is a traditional day to remember those, uh, to celebrate those whose lives have passed on. And so we've done these gatherings before, but if you have lost someone, uh, a loved one, a friend, a family member, uh, or all of the above, uh, we invite you to come to that. We already have a number of people signed up for this already, but it's just a, it's a sweet evening of just getting together and um, telling stories, sharing in song and prayer. We'll read the names of those who have passed on and uh, and just offer it as an, a service of encouragement. But also we want to invite anybody uh, who would come with someone who has lost someone just as a support. So that is uh, open as well. So you can register for that through our app uh, and on the website as well. But want to invite you to that. It's coming up in a few weeks, uh, November 1st, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Um, we'll let you know where, as you know. <laughs> We're kind of a nomadic people, uh, but we will let you know where uh, ASAP. Secondly, really excited about this because we do this every year, but our next Serve the City project is coming up, which is our annual Pride for Parents toy drive with Focus Community Strategies here in South Atlanta. And so there's some uh, cards on the events and gatherings table you can pick up. It's just a real quick, here's what we're doing, here are the dates, here's what we need, and so on. And uh, that'll start on the first Sunday of November, uh, so the fourth, but uh, go ahead and pick that up and you'll start to see uh, stuff coming up next week. Actually, somebody from FCS will be here to kind of share a little bit more about that. Uh, we call that laying on the guilt. So uh, <laughs> just so you know, if you feel like, man, they really got me, that was the point. So uh, we want to get you going on that. And then finally, on the 11th, which is a Sunday, our first lunch and learn of the fall season. It's kind of late, but I'll be leading this one. And it's uh, just before the Advent season starts, and I'll be doing a lunch and learn on kind of like how to jump on the church calendar and grow from it and all that. So we'll serve lunch and uh, have some fun, talk about some stuff. We'll give you some resources. And if you have kids, there's uh, child care for that. So cool. Got it? Got it. All right. Got some runners here today. Raise your hand if you ran the race today. Right. Front row. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Are you ready? Hebrews chapter 5, we're just moving forward uh, through this uh, wonderful piece of, me this message really, this sermon uh, in letter form. Uh, 
in the New Testament. So uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read through it, pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll break it down. All right, the writer says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obliged to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, quote, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, quote, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him by being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning and just this weather change. And uh, as always, for this space that we can come as a church family and meet and sing songs together and hear your word spoken and read. Uh, And as we look at this uh, wonderful passage just for the next few minutes, I pray that you open up our eyes and ears to what it is you'd have to say to us. And it's in your name we pray and everyone said, Amen. amen. So the writer here is once again telling us something very particular about Jesus. Imagine that. I mean, this is going to be about uh, Jesus. Now, the way he does it is he uses a real-world example of that day, and he takes that real-world example, and he uses it as an illustration, and he holds it up, and then he kind of holds Jesus next to it and says, this is what Jesus is like, but also a little bit different. Jesus is a little different, so we want to talk about that. But the real-world example that he uses from that day is the priesthood. Are you familiar with this word, the priest? Uh, Okay, good. So we're all on the same page here. Now, just so you know, priests were not unique to Israel. In In the ancient world, especially in all religious understandings of ancient culture, priests were just a very normal part of those systems. Everybody had priests. And in the Roman system... A priest was not just something that was religious, but it was also quite civic. A priest was a status symbol. A priest was someone who, uh, on behalf of the gods, led the people. Julius Caesar was considered a priest of his people in some regard. And so it wasn't just Israel that dealt with the priesthood. Priests were just a normal part of life. Uh, We'll talk about what they do in a minute, but just so you know that it's not unique Uh, to Israel. Now, again, outside of Israel, to be a priest was something that you desired. A priest, to be a priest was a way to move up in society. A priest was, if if I became a priest in the Roman culture, the Greek culture, or whatever, it was a status symbol seen as a way forward and upward. What's different about the Israel system is that the priesthood was hereditary. You were just born into it. Welcome, you're a priest. Hope you enjoy that. The Mennonites have a tradition where, if we were a Mennonite uh, church, 
I would come to Cindy and say, guess what? You're going to be our pastor for the next 12 months. Do you know this? It's true. And then the rest of the church would take care of her financial needs and pull you into this role. You guys want to be a Mennonite, right? And, uh, and so that, that's how that would work. But uh, very similar in the priesthood where they would be called out of, because they were born into the line of Aaron, which is Moses' brother, they would be a priest. And there were different kinds of priests, but basically it was just hereditary. You were born uh, into it. Now, the role of the priest is a kind of stand-between. The role of the priest is that of a stand-between, between the gods and the people. And in Judaism and in the surrounding Greco-Roman religious understandings, the health of your relationship with the divine uh, happened through sacrifice. This is why we hear so much about sacrifices in ancient religious systems, be it crops or livestock or what have you. What they understood in the ancient world was that uh, the health of my relationship with the divine happened through sacrifice. Now it's easy to think these unevolved minds, this is how they thought. But they're not unevolved. This is how humans are. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said to someone, okay, what do I have to do to make this right? You've asked that question before. What do I have to do to make this right? What do I have to do to fix this? Uh, That's what we do. And making things right turns on personal sacrifice, on cutting losses. If something is wrong between us and I want to make it right... There's going to be some personal sacrifice that has to take place. That's just the way we are. Like, for example, I sacrifice personal pride by coming to you and saying, I'm sorry. I totally am sorry. Or I sacrifice self-delusion through admission of wrongdoing. This is like the thing in our culture at this point. You know how it is in the world right now. Whenever I see or hear on the news some man who says, I categorically deny all these allegations, I just know that that's code for, I did them all. <laughs> just wait for it, okay? But this is the party line. When we come as I categorically deny all these allegations. We self-delude ourselves uh, in, into believing that we have done nothing wrong. But to admit that is a sacrifice, Or I sacrifice in my relationships, focus on myself, self-focus, in order to be present with people that are in my life. So you understand what I'm saying, and the list can be quite long, but when we think of making things right between us, we instinctively understand that this will be a process that involves giving things up, cutting losses, gesturing our intent to make things right. That's what we do. So these aren't unevolved minds. This is the way humans are. And the human need to make things right spills over into our faith. We look around us and we assess how God thinks or feels about us based on how things might be going. Like we we look around and think, uh, I mean, the ancient world would look around and go, well, I really worked hard on this field, but there's no crop this year. So God must be angry with me. Maybe I should give more. You should always give more. (laughs) Especially when your church is trying to buy a building. Uh, 
but this is how it goes. Or this relationship fell apart. Maybe God is feeling something about me that is causing this. This is the way we think. It spills over into our faith, and we kind of look at our circumstances and think, God feels like this or this about me because of my circumstances. And so the sacrificial system develops as a way for people to, in the ancient world, to appease God. But in Israel's system, and we don't have time for this. I wish we did because it's so much fun. But this, the, the sacrificial system of Israel is so laughable compared to the rest of the world because it's, so, it's just like God saying, just give me a bird. That's fine. Just a bird. I mean, in the ancient world, it elevated all the way up to your firstborn. But God comes along and says, I mean, your grain is fine. It's laughable. It's no sacrifice at all. But it is a way to, the ancient world felt like they were appeasing God, but in Israel's sacrificial system, it really just appeased the people. It made them feel, it was a way for them to practice something and they could walk away going, I'm good with God. They're always good with God, but they need that kind of like, I paid my dues. Does that make sense? So it's just a side story that we could talk all day about. It's really fun. And the priest's role was to mediate the intent of the people. That's the priest's role, to stand there at the sacrificing table and say, I'm here to speak to God on your behalf or to offer this sacrifice on your behalf and to come back to you and say, God, is, God loves you. That's the role of the priest, the stand between. Now, you've done this. I know that I have, but have you ever sent that text to your friend and say, hey, will you see if he's mad at me? <laughs> have you ever done this? I've done this. Because I'm crazy. <laughs> I have problems. But, hey, will you check on so-and-so and see if they're mad at me? What have you done? You've pulled your friend into a priestly role. Now they're mediating between you. And you're back and forth through this friend. And finally the friend comes back and says, they're, they're not mad at you. You're fine. They've played the role of the priest. And in a very serious sense, the priest's role was to tell the people that God is still with them. God is still in love with you. But there is a danger in being a priest. This is what the writer speaks of. The danger is that the priest can forget that he's human. I don't know if you caught that in the readings, but it's very easy for us to forget that we too are not flawless. Even though you might be elevated to a role that is seemingly perfect in the human condition, you're not now, we've worked very hard as a staff here. It's not very hard for us to do this, but we, we hope that we come across as quite normal and imperfect people. Amen? I hope that that's the case. Uh, <laughs> but that is definitely on purpose because it, for me, it's just really too hard to be perfect. It's very difficult to maintain a persona that isn't even true. I'm just not good at that. So it's just better if you know who I am from the start. Um, someone asked me, you know, sometimes I, I curse in here. And uh, someone asked me, there was like a guest, you know, how do you feel about when your cousin is a guest in the room? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, they're going to hear it eventually from me. And uh, so it's great. It's great if we get it out now. But I'm also that guy. Like, what is profanity, really? Can we talk about that? <laughs> Just 
just a fleeting human construct. And then if I really want to be that guy, I flip to the words of the Apostle Paul and go, see right here, this Greek word is actually the word for fill in the blank. And, you know, so even in our own Bibles, we've got this thing going on. So. But the priest is not perfect. He, but the problem with the priest is that the danger of being a priest is that he can forget that he's human. He's been given this elevated role. And over time, you can forget that you too have problems. The provision for this is in verse 3, where it says, well, verse 2 and 3, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Verse 3, because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin. So he had to participate in this as well to remember that he is not perfect either. Now, what the, the actual Greek here about dealing with people uh, the translation there is actually that he can moderate his emotions. Another way of saying it is that he regulates his anger. And this is what the writer means about this is why he's weak. When we regulate our anger, when we mediate our emotions, it can lead to resentment. It can lead to arrogance. This is their weakness. What begins as an act of humility can move through the pathways of This is a burden at first, then it's a frustration, and then it's a resentment, and then there's arrogance, and then there's this separateness between me and the people. I hope that you know, just as a pause here, that this is also about us, that we can do this too, that the priest is human, and what's very human about all of us is the tendency to view ourselves as better than others, be it morally or socially or otherwise, and to say of others, they're not okay. I'm okay, they're not okay. You ever done this? Do you have friends that do this? They just sort of talk about other people and you're like, do you know you? (laughs) Have you done this? I know that you've done this because you're human. But let's just use your friends as a, a, we'll kick the tires with your friends here. We all have that friend who's like, gosh, they, they just keep criticizing this person for this or that. But it's them. It's totally them. But we don't see that. Because we've moved through that. And we've become separated from those people. So the writer comes along and says, but Jesus is a different kind of priest. What's interesting is that the ancient priests felt so much pressure to be perfect. I understand this from a pastoral role. Uh, But so much pressure to remain flawless. And the problem with that is everybody knows these priests. They grew up in the same neighborhoods together. They've seen this guy lose it. They know that he's not perfect. It's a weird thing. Maybe it's weird when I'm serving communion and you come up and, you know, and I'm just sort of going through the motions with the people in the line, you know. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. You never returned my texts. Good to see you. It said you read it. Good to see you. Good to see you. You know, like, it's, I know it can be weird. And it was definitely weird for them. They bring their livestock to be sacrificed. And there's old Joe, the priest, who used to fist fight with this guy as a kid. You know, it's weird. But the pressure to be perfect was so incredible that it often led to so much downfall in the priesthood. But Jesus, this is so interesting. Jesus comes along and he's not clean at all. He's not an untouchable priest at all. 
but he's one who made his home among us. Jesus, in the religious culture of the day, broke every cleanliness law there was. Why are you and your disciples not washing your hands? Why are you eating with these people? Why did you touch that leper? Etc., etc. He's not clean at all. Specifically, Jesus led this kind of unhidden life of suffering and struggle. And with an almost unheard of willingness to align himself with those who are broken or cast out. As if Jesus shows up in these people's lives and says, I'll hang out with you. I'll be with you. Whereas the priest has a natural tendency to separate himself from what is unclean. The priest that Jesus becomes is one who gets very dirty in our world. Verses 7 through 10. I'm going to just close with this because there's so much in this. But let me read it again. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Some believe that this is the writer speaking of Jesus' prayer in the garden the night before he dies, asking God, essentially, if there's another way that would be fantastic. Offering those prayers to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. In verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect... And this is the nice turn. This is the genius move in the text. Perfection was not in separateness, but through suffering with. Withness. Suffering along with those who are in great pain. And in our question to God of, tell me what I need to do to make this okay. Some of you come to church. That's why you come here. I just got to get things right with God. Tell me what I got to do to make this thing right. What the writer talks about here is it turns out that we don't have to do anything. That Jesus did everything on our behalf. Amen? This is, the, this is what we see in him. And Jesus ends up being both priest and the sacrifice. It's very odd. It's, again, just imagine the Israeli sacrificial system. You bring your goat, and Joe the priest goes, no need, it's me today. <laughs> it's just odd. But Jesus ends up being that. He ends up being both the priest and the sacrifice. And the good news, which is the word gospel, the gospel is the entrance of Jesus into the human story as an announcement. That we are good with God and that God is not angry and that he will be with us in all things. Um, in First Peter, Peter is a disciple of Jesus and he wrote a couple of things um, in our Bible. But in verse 5 of chapter 2, I just love this. It says, he says to his readers, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy, you just want to guess? Priesthood. To offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That you are a priesthood. We 
our priests. We all wear the collar. I called my uh, Presbyterian friend this weekend and was like, hey, do you have a collar? I was going to bring it in. And she said, I used to. Someone gave it to me and it reeked. So I threw it away. So I don't have a collar. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Those are... The priests wear those for a great reason, which is to, as the Sikhs wear the headdress, it's to announce to those around them that if you need help, I'm here. This is the symbol that I'm here for you. But what Peter does is say, we are all in the priesthood. That we all wear the collar. That we all have been given the responsibility to, to speak to those in our lives and remind them that God is for them and with them and he loves them. That's our job. That's the job of a priest is to stand between people and God and say, you're good. Christ loves you beyond measure. And there are people in your life that need to hear that. It's good for us to do that. I want you to think about that this week. Who is God prompting you to be a priestly person to? For whatever reason, they can't see or feel or understand the grace of God. But you are there to speak that into them. What is the communion other than a priestly event? In a moment, you'll stand in line and come receive from Andy and Becky. And they will say these very familiar things that we say every single Sunday. That this bread represents the life and the death of Jesus. And it was given for you. The worst communion service would be. You do not deserve this. Now, trust me, there are people we could say that to. You know, that's the hard part of the priest. Man. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Are you with me? Maybe you stand in line and go, mm-mm. Mm. But the communion is that act that this life was given for you. And then you move to the juice that this blood was given for you, shed for you. The communion is just again and again and again us hearing that you are okay, that you are loved, that you are not dismissed, and you will not be discounted. Does anyone need to hear that today? That's why we do it. Not because it's tradition, but because it means that. And it's tied to the fellowship around the table that Jesus was so known for. Always pulling, ta- always pulling chairs up to his table. Sure, come on in, everybody, anybody. And it was a frustration for people. But the early Christians began to do this in rhythm and weekly as a reminder of that, that you and me have a place at God's table, amen? And that we can continue to come week after week after week. No matter what kind of week that you have lived, you can come into this place and receive the same message that you are loved, 